to Garage Night, where rust can be a problem. I'm Randall, and I'm uh, joined tonight by... Jeff. And that's it. Um, we have, we've swapped out this week, uh, and so Jeff is finally back after uh, a few episodes off. Welcome back, bud. Thank you, man. It's, uh, it's been a little hectic here. It, uh, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, but, uh, we have some good topics tonight. I think, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, my, my Bronco and my Falcon and some pretty interesting, uh, news, um, on the, uh, on the, on the car world, um, that we can, uh, some topics here to talk about. So, uh, and I think you have some, some good ride stuff too, uh, to discuss uh, this week as well, don't you? Uh, not, not anything crazy interesting. I don't want to, I don't want to blow it out of proportion, but I'm, I'm doing some, some new stuff and, um, I got a little bit of kind of quick tip if you happen to have an E70 X5. Um, but, uh, that's, that's about it, but let's go ahead and we'll start with, uh, with your stuff because you have, uh, quite a bit going on. Um, and it's actually, uh, interesting, but, uh, a quick forewarning, today is even more than usual pretty ford heavy so uh (laughs) just be ready even even the news everything but one so um yeah so let's go ahead and kick it off with uh the bronco that's that's been quite a thing i think since you've been on uh the saga has begun because last the listeners knew unless they followed the instagram page um you had just gotten it back from paint and we're starting to kind of put the trim and stuff back on. Um, there's lots happened since then. Why don't you catch? Yeah, that? that's, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Um, I, I didn't realize it was that, uh, that long ago that I had last been on the show. So, um, the Bronco is all put together, uh, with the exception of the interior. Um, Let's see. I uh, I picked up a set of factory high back buckets, which are really cool. Um, they uh, need to be reupholstered, but a super rare um, option that was on those. They recline and they're comfy, and uh, and I really like them. Um, I don't know if I talked about it uh, in one of the previous episodes, but one uh, one of the nights I'd been you know driving around um, in the Bronco and I noticed it was kind of overheating uh, more than it typically does and i drove up to pick up uh, my girlfriend taco bell (laughs) and i had the truck running for about five minutes and i looked down and the temperature gauge was almost pegged and so i you know called her she drove the two minutes up to taco bell and with a hammer and we started you know tapping on the thermostat um housing thinking maybe the thermostat was uh was stuck shut um I'm not sure if that was the culprit or not, but either way, um, that will come into play later uh, when I give you more updates. This is just going chronologically here, um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, been battling kind of overheating uh, off and on, and um, put the truck you know together. I, I wired up a, a stereo for it. It had a stereo in it before, but I'm doing. Uh, I did a smaller amp. Um, that uh it's like a five channel so that that now is hooked up to two subwoofers in the back that are mounted uh they're free air subwoofers they're mounted uh in the rear uh quarter panels and uh the 
the uh, interior panels will go over the top of those, so it'll kind of create kind of a semi-airtight uh, box. Um, so I, I got that all wrapped up, and uh, you know, truck was driving pretty good. But as I was driving around, I started noticing this little tick um, in the uh, in the valve train, and uh, and as I was uh, as I was going through, um, you know. Uh, kind of going through stuff and I, you know i looked at my spark plugs and i looked at my plug wires and i was listening to the valve train seeing maybe did i drop a valve or did a you know did a keeper come off or something? i don't know i was just kind of looking around and <clears throat> i ran it by a buddy of mine and uh drove up and you know he was i i was mentioning something to him and he was like yeah that's that's weird he's like oh fire it up for me and and i go to fire it up and I noticed a bunch of smoke coming out of the right side tailpipe and uh i uh you know i was okay that's weird and it, to me it looked a little oily but uh it was really faint but it was definitely noticeable uh compared to the compared to the driver's side and um you know the truck had good power uh, i ran a compression test it had good compression um so he happened to have a a little this little bottle of uh, fluid that you stick on the radiator uh, cap and uh, it tests for carbon dioxide, I think, it, or basically exhaust emissions uh, coming out of your, uh, your coolant uh, uh, reservoir or your radiator cap. And so as soon as I fired it up, it changed color, which indicates that I was getting uh, coolant or uh, exhaust gases into my coolant. Um, so, I mean, that could be one of a number of things, um, but generally it's either head gasket block or cylinder head issues. And because it's coming from the same bank as the, uh, as the previous time when I'd rebuilt the engine, uh, I'd cracked the block and it was on the same side of the engine as the previous failure. Um, and in fact, it's actually, uh, when I ran, when I looked at the spark plugs, I noticed that the spark plug on cylinder one was the cleanest. That was the same cylinder that had been re-sleeved, uh, 11 years ago when I rebuilt the engine. So, and apparently when I spoke to my dad a little bit about it, he said that when he rebuilt the engine in 88, uh, that it, he, uh, the, the first time they fired it up, um, they had. I guess they had pressure washed it or something and it hydro uh, hydro locked the motor and uh he thinks it might have been had it been re-sleeved then as well so this seems to have been a recurring issue that is just you know the block is just done at this point it's it's not either not savable or it's or it's some type of recurring failure um with this truck so um very depressing after you get it all painted and everything is nice and pretty or pretty ish um that it has this issue um so uh, the the latest um the latest has been you know trying to figure out what i want to do for a power plant um and i had kind of gone through the whole gambit of if i could just do anything in the world what would i want to do and you know my my gut is like i want to do a 300 in line six because uh, I think those engines are super neat and they're just known to be super reliable. Um, but the easiest solution is to go with a 460 or a 429 or replace what's in there because it bolts up to everything 
and all of the bracketry and everything is all the same and you know so what did i do i go out and i find a complete 460 you know ac pump steering pump everything pulled out of a truck with low miles um engine trans everything and so i just just this last weekend drove to bend and picked up a 460 and i tested it um did a leak down test on it and it all came back actually pretty pretty good um had less than 15 percent leak down on all cylinders which is super good especially uh you know for that old of a truck it was from an 86 and um so i uh you know i got i was like okay oh, that, that's all good news and and one of my uh buddies uh oh shoot actually andy's dad uh he uh i talked to andy's dad about it and he uh told me he said that uh you know he had a 460 back in the day so they're really prone to breaking exhaust manifold bolts he said and generally you can't even drill them out he said usually you have to just pull the cylinder head and take to a machine shop and so what what did i what i noticed on mine is mine had five broken uh cylinder head bolts or not cylinder head bolts exhaust manifold bolts in the cylinder head snapped off in the cylinder head so that's great um <laughs> you know so i try going about getting the rest of them out and i get i think i got four out um, some were already loose. Um, I, I got all of them out except for two and I broke two off. And so, you know, I went and bought, bought the extractor tools and, you know, I drilled in and I broke a drill bit off in one. And then I broke the extractor tool off in the other. And at that point I said, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> I can't go spend the money to put, to have the cylinder heads redone. And then, you know, I went to go pull the um ac bracket off so i could you know get better access to things and the mount for the ac bracket um goes into the water pump and uh come to find out that the water pumps are super known for the water pump uh bolts breaking off in the timing cover so uh, and that's because these bolts are like four and a half inches long they're zinc coated they pass through a cooling a coolant uh passage and so um and it is an aluminum water pump steel block so you just get this just nice little reaction of chemicals in there that just lock everything together super tight so um just not really something i want to look at uh you know kind of a recurring issue and i wasn't really keen on a 460 anyway it just seemed like the easiest you know a drop-in solution to get my truck back on the road um and then come to find out that I, I started doing some measuring on the brackets and stuff and all of the accessory drive would have to be switched over to 78 79 and that kind of just throws the budget out the window um and for a, a setup i really don't care to have anyway i'm really not that excited about it and i'm just i'm done with it so now i have a, a, an engine i want to get rid of sitting in my garage <laughs> that uh you know engine and transmission and exhaust and everything off of that truck is taking up room in my garage and so um i'm still up in the air as to what i want to put in the bronco but uh we can have that discussion um so today i just just before we got on the show i just uh i had ordered a uh leveling kit for the bronco so that raised the front of the truck up two inches to be even with the rear and I uh, threw that in there and um, new shocks and stuff, and it looks really good. I'm really happy with it. Um, so that that's pretty much all I've done on the 
on the Bronco, I think at this point, um, my, uh, I, I, more I look at the, at the new paint job, the more I'm finding scratches underneath the base coat, which is not an easy fix. Um, so not, not super happy with that. Um, so not sure what I'm going to do there. Probably just leave it until for another 10 or 15 years till I can afford another paint job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's a little frustrating, but um, that's yeah, I think that's a, that's pretty unfortunate line of uh, of, of events um, coming up. So you got the four sixty, which I know uh, quite a few people uh, convinced you to go that way because coming from the four hundred, um, what were your what were your options? Because you had it narrowed down to a few. Uh, do you want to lay those out real quick uh, and yeah. we'll kind of go through that? Yeah, so um, my uh, initial, so I had, I mean, I've been going down the rabbit hole on this thing, as you can imagine. Um, like, my mind is just like, all of these possibilities of things I can do. And, you know, for me, it's it's all old stuff. I'm not, not looking at coyotes or 4.6s or any of that junk. I'm, you know, looking at, <laughs> you know, anything with a push rod that's, you know, made by Ford pretty much. So, um my my number one, what my heart is really calling out to me is the 300 in mine six. Really like those engines. That's kind of top top for me. Um, the well, only unknown the, is let's let's see about that uh, compared to the 400 because the 400 um, obviously it's a lot of uh, cubic inches. It's mm -hmm. it's a push rod V8. It's a uh, two cams per or I'm, I'm sorry two valves per cylinder. Correct. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's a timing chain motor. It's, uh, it, it's height of the smog era. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it, based on the Cleveland architecture with a big block uh, bell housing. And they really can be pumped up to make good power. Like, they're, 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 you know, known for being, you know, stock, being very slow. But I mean, you throw some uh, high compression pistons in there and, and some decent heads and they'll make 600 plus horsepower all day long. And they're, they're fast, but uh, the one you know, that's in there now though, is probably seven and a half to one compression ratio or so. I would, I would assume. <laughs> the one that's in there now with all the work I've done to it is probably somewhere around eight and a half or so. It's got a, uh, got different pistons in it. Um, they're not flat tops, but they, uh, they do have a smaller dish than factory. It's got, had work done to it. Um, you know, it's got, uh, you know, uh, back cut or fly cut valves. I think it was something like that. Um, so what would you, what would you assume that thing's running? Uh, you know, we, we could talk all day, day about SAE, non SAE, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, uh, based on your personal butt dyno, where do you think that's coming in? So that we have kind of a baseline against the options that you're going to throw out there. I what would do you think it's too, like 220 and 350 is that i would you, guess that when it was when it was peak you know when it was after the rebuild and stuff and it was feeling pretty good i would probably put that in the order of you know probably 260 to 270 horsepower and probably you know mid threes to low threes for torque so 320 330 something like that um it uh it wasn't it wasn't a monster, but it was definitely pretty good for that truck. Like it, 
it moved it pretty well. And that's not the lightest truck in the world. It's not heavy, but it's not light. Um, it's about, it's so, about you know, five fifty five hundred somewhere in there. I would guess. Yeah. I think it's right around five. Yeah. Something like that. Um, it's not, for, it's not for reference. Like my, uh, my bullet, you know, 4.6 from Oh one, uh, with minor mods from the factory was claimed two sixty five and three ten. So you're talking about a, a four hundred cubic inch that's running about that same uh kind of power levels. Yeah, and it would be but it, you know it's 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 something so much heavier, so it's not really yeah hard to it, it's hard to kind of compare. But uh but yeah it is. It's I, I would guess that just based on the way that truck got got out of its own way, um I would think it's somewhere around there. And you no, know, I just had the transmission rebuilt last year in it so uh, you know it's got a fresh c6 um you know it wasn't leaking anything it, you know it was driving really good um and that 400 you know that that thing's got almost 400,000 miles on it like on the block and stuff you know so it's it's up there um it's it's seen a lot of use and uh unfortunately you know as i talked with my dad about it you know we both said that it's just been you know it'll start every time but that engine has just always had issues like it's always been tappy or it's always been you know leaky or it's always had something wrong with it all the time like ever since you know he's owned it you know it's always just been a kind of a a troublesome engine and part of the reason i'm so uh fond of the inline six is i've had such good luck knock on wood really knock on wood um with my falcon I mean, that thing just starts right up every single time. It's simple. It's got so much room to work on each side of the bank. You don't have the V blocking access to your spark plugs or your uh, your exhaust manifolds and everything else. And you know, so is that is that the same uh, is that the same motor, the two hundred and the three hundred? Is that just a bore and stroke kind of a thing? No, they're completely different architecture. That's a good question. Um, okay, so so you feel it'll be equally reliable simply because it's from the same brand and the same era and the same basic setup, but they're not, it's not like a, um, a, a different version of the same engine architecture. It's a, it's a different, uh, different moniker. Yeah. So it's a different, it's actually a different. Um, it's a different, uh, I don't even know if they have a moniker for it. It's just a different block design and it's a different, um, just uh, configuration really it's it, okay, it's so... based off of the old uh 240 engine which was a truck only engine that came out in the 60s and uh, i believe the 300 came out at the same time um and the 240 was actually placed in some cars not very many um the 200 is uh, the 144 uh the 170 and the 200 and the 250 are all the same basic block design. Those are all car engines generally, with the exception of the 170 that was in the Bronco. Those are all car engines um, of the same architecture, also known for being very, very reliable, um, very simple and easy to work on. But the 240 and the 300 were like a truck workhorse engine um, that they put into cars and trucks, I should say, uh, starting in the 60s. And they had, instead of using timing chain, they used a gear, uh, timing gears um, that were steel. Uh, they eventually went to phenolic. But uh, so that was that was one difference there was the was the gearing. Um, they had a better flowing head, you know, bigger head. The 
main bearing. I think it's a seven main bearing engine, big veins compared to the 200. Um, and they were used in all of Ford's um, like fleet vehicles. They were used in industrial generators, um, you know, backhoes, uh, skid steers, um, airport equipment. They were used, they were basically like the Cummins 4BT of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, they, they, I mean, they kept the engine almost unchanged except for fuel injection up until the mid 90s. Um, and they sold them with, they, were, they would run on uh, LPG, you know, propane gas. Um, you know, they configured them to run in all different types of uh, situations. And they, they didn't make a ton of horsepower, but they made a lot of torque at a very low RPM. So I think they, their peak torque was right around 2000 RPM. And it was like, I don't know, I think they put down 250 foot pounds of torque at like 2000 RPM, which to, to get anything comparable to that, you're looking at something like a 460 V8 um, to get some something with that much torque on the torque curve that low in the RPM range. Um, so I so, know that's that's where you want it because you're used to the 400 having that that deep down grunt, and I know that's hmm. something that a lot of people pushed you towards the the 460 specifically because that I have the same thing. I like that ease of motion where you're not pushing it. It's the it's the other side of the of the Miata Civic sort mm-hmm. of scenario where you can kind of just give it a little throttle and low RPMs, kind of a diesel feel, and mm-hmm if you start changing the engine characteristics of a vehicle, you will change the way the vehicle feels. And so I know yeah. a lot of people recommended the 460 rightly to try and keep that same feel without putting another boat anchor. I mean, 400 in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but do you think that 250, even with a meaty low end power band, do you think 250 foot pounds is going to be, enough to give you that same feeling without it kind of changing the truck or is there are there mods that you can do to reliably push it closer to three yeah so i mean there's there's quite a bit you can do with 300s you know and generally if you get them up you know you throw an intake and you throw the efi exhaust manifolds uh on there from the efi trucks and there's a couple of little tricks you can do and you could get them up over 325, but you're never going to push over really 220 horsepower out of them. Um, and that's pushing it. But the, the thing that you got to understand on those is they, uh, most of them came with manual transmissions that had a really low first gear. Um, so they like the T18 and the NP435, they have like a five to one and a six to one first gear. So, I mean, you could just let the clutch out and you could be towing 10,000 pounds behind you and you wouldn't even know it was back there. Hmm. Um, you get tons of torque multiplication coupled with that uh, really low torque uh, curve on those engines, and they can just pull damn near anything you put behind them. Um, so that's where I'm trying to make the smart decision of, do I, I don't really want to go manual on the truck. I want to keep it a nice driver, but I'm looking at different gearing options for getting that low down grunt and if i go with a small block anyway i'm going to probably want that unless i go with a 351 windsor which is another option so, so i'm let's trying talk to about, let's talk about that then let's go to the the 351 that's a it's a well-known 
you know, big block V8. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as massive as the 460, but it's also not as thirsty because I know that's that's something we haven't touched on. But the difference between eight and nine miles to the gallon over 20 gallons like does make a difference in yeah you know how often you have to fill up and how likely you're going to be to drive it and especially on trips and stuff so right the 351 is is a well-known motor there's the cleveland and there's the windsor and let's just say one is clearly better than the other um, yeah there's the uh the 351 modified the 351 cleveland the 351 windsor um and so i uh i've also the 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 Windsor motor is uh, is like the 302, you know, the HO motors that's like in our Mustang or my Mustangs um, or my Mustang and and uh, the Fox body is in SN95s where um, it's just a just a typical Windsor block. They have their own issues though that are hard to to deal with, um, but overall there's a ton of of aftermarket for them. You can buy anything you want for them online for pretty cheap. Um, the downside is with the 302, you, you have to wind them up to make torque. You know, you're not going to get the, the torque characteristic that you would with a, um, with a, uh, 300, you know, yeah. or a big block, uh, where you have that grunt down low. Um, you're going to get it up a little bit higher, you know, 3000 RPM is where you're going to start really see that torque come on. Um, 351 pushes that a little lower um you know they're they got a square i think they're a square four stroke somebody will probably correct me on that but um they're a really good engine they're uh you know they're super solid they're prone to having uh, exhaust manifolds crack and the worst part of both the 302 and the 351 is they are prone to breaking um water pump bolts uh and timing cover bolts break off in the block so they uh, they have a similar issue that the 4, uh, 460 has, where these bolts go through uh, water passages. I think only two of them do on the 302 and 351, but um, the timing cover bolts also um, will are prone to breaking off the block. And so that again requires engine out, take it to a machine shop, do that whole thing. Um, so something as simple as a water pump change could turn into something pretty unpleasant so um you know that's those are the kind of things that i'm trying to look for is what are these common issues that afflict the engines that i'm looking at and what i'm what is what am i willing to deal with long term like that it would uh you know uh be either kind of a a, a no-go kind of situation for me you know and i hate to say it man but like an engine like uh, don't, you're, you're going to chastise me for it and I, I'll never do it, but like a 350, like that's in my Chevy, that would be, if it wasn't, if it didn't have a bow tie on it, it wasn't made by Chevy, that would be a great engine because they don't have the water pump bolt issues. They don't have manifold bolt issues. They just kind of, they kind of work. Um, There's a reason why they put, uh, the Chevy 350 and the LS1 in any project that needs a high horsepower motor that's what people put in that is the yeah. number one there, and it's not because oh there's just so many there's so many 302s out there too they, yeah it's because it's just a good motor <clears throat> like mm -hmm. we're not sponsored by ford despite what many people may think 
but um, I, if it yeah. was, I wouldn't be driving Beamers. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's a good there. It's a good motor, but I mean, you could always take the 350 out of the Chevy, put that in the Bronco, and put something more interesting in the Chevy. Like that's always an option. Yeah, the Chevy really needs a small block 302 because they just fit better. But honestly, I'm uh, I wouldn't put a 350 in the Bronco ever just because I can't bring myself to do that. Um, <laughs> but honestly, I mean. Down. Yeah, yeah, I would probably do it to myself, but um, but yeah, so I mean, I've been looking at all types of, you know, engine transmission combos, kind of pros and cons of each, you know, like if I did a 351 Windsor, I could put a C6 behind it, uh, whereas if I did a 302 or a 300, I'd probably want to put <clears throat> maybe a 4R70W or a uh, 700R4 behind it, uh, which is a Chevy transmission. Because uh, they have a steeper first gear, um, and they and you keep the overdrive. And the downside of a 4R70W is it's electronic controlled, but it's a Ford transmission, so I can bolt uh, with more ease than others. I can bolt my uh, transfer case to it, um, and and it bolts directly to the back of the engine. Whereas if I did the 700R4, I'd have to get the adapter and adapt both the transfer transfer case side and the bell housing side to the engine so it's you know kind of one of those things where you're you know you there's tons of options in front of me as to what i can do um, but you also have to consider like the transmission and yep and that transmission then mounting to your transfer yep. case or otherwise you may have to change the transfer case and right. that that could get you know one engine that well this is going to be a little cheaper could end up with more problems down the line because What's right. your transfer case rated to take power-wise? Um, yeah. One question I do have, you mentioned the C6. Didn't you just rebuild the C6 that is currently in the Bronco? Could that mate up to the 351? Uh, it's it's correct. I did rebuild it. Uh, it cannot mate up to the 351. Uh, Windsor motor, it can only bolt up to the uh, big block bell housing patterns, which are the 429, 460, 351 modified and the 400 um they're an integral bell housing case so the case is different um so they made a c6 with a small block bell housing they made a c6 with an fe uh bell housing and they made a c6 with a 385 series big block bell housing so this is another okay. reason guys guys like chevy chevys is you can take a 1955 power glide bolt it directly to your 1998 5.7 liter Vortec engine. They bolt up exactly the same all the way through the range of Chevys. Like, bolt pattern stays the same. You get bolt a 454 trans to a inline 6 250 or vice versa. Like, they, they're all interchange, which is super nice um, for guys that are looking at hot rod stuff. You don't have to figure out what year it is and, you know, did the block plate change in 1966 to a different design where it's a three-bolt starter instead of a two-bolt starter, which is something that happened on the Mustangs? Um, or did they, you know, so it's like Chevys are a lot more uh, forgiving for what you can put, put behind and, and what, you know. So, uh, and the aftermarket's kind of supported that. Um, so I don't know. I'm the, the thing is, is once I convert my transmission over get a buy a small block transmission i could put any of those engines in front of that transmission so i could do a 300 i could do a 302 i could do a 351 windsor and they all bolt would bolt right in place um 
to the uh, to that transmission. And I think um, the frame has plate positions for the different motor mounts, so I can just swap motor mounts to the different uh, styles, bolt them in place. So, <clears throat> well, so there's good to, options to kind of close out the the motor selection topic. Uh, mm -hmm. I know I, I think it's pretty clear that you are personally leaning towards the straight six but you're just trying to uh justify it well enough that when yeah. people give you a hard time you feel that you can defend yourself yeah that's that's what it sounds like from the outside so uh, it's, if, it's a little bit that but it's also um i don't know like i i mean i'm i'm the guy who's who likes to fire that truck up and listen to it too so like 300 in line six, I would just need it to be quiet and never tell me that it's even running. Um, if, if I had like a 302, I could still enjoy the exhaust note. So it's kind of a weird situation where you're like, oh man, do I do I want this nice quiet engine that's torquey and I don't really know is there or and is super easy to work on. That was another thing we didn't really touch on that was kind of a criteria for this is I needed something smaller in that engine bay. Like the 460 doesn't wouldn't even fit as it is. I have to buy all the brackets, but the 400 barely fits in there. There's no room to work. Whereas a 302, a 300, and maybe even a 351, depending on on the bracketry, would all fit in there with a lot more room than the current engine. So that was another thing that is a deciding factor. Um, so could you could you give me just a? Huh, I'm going to ask you to be succinct. Uh -oh. um, if that's possible, we've been good about like, it so far. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 34 minutes on an engine. Um, but no, this is, I'm actually, I'm personally very interested. Can you give us like a, like a, a, a good and a bad, like your number one good and your number one downside to each motor? Like right now, like the 400 is, um, is strong and torquey but unreliable like you've had a lot of trouble mm -hmm. with it um so what would you say is the the number one up and the number one down about uh the straight six so the number one upside of the straight six to me um is probably it's it's uh that's reliability reliability which would include yeah. ease of ease of maintenance yeah that was that was going to be it exactly is the is the reliability and the ease of maintenance. Um, those are the, those are the biggest, um, strengths in the for the inline six, you know, like, like my Falcon has been that way. And, uh, uh, I would expect the 300 to be even better, um, than the, than the Falcon engine. Um, the biggest downsides are probably a tie between, uh, sound and lack of high end power. Um, it just doesn't have, all that umph up top to really uh, pass a lot of cars on the freeway, I would imagine. So um, that could be an issue. Um, for a 302, um, the biggest pro is the aftermarket is huge on a 302. You can have you however can get, much power you want. You get to decide. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, um, and you can, uh, you know, you can find them fairly easy uh, in the aftermarket. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, I could get one out of a, I know of a, of a Mark Seven right now with a 50 HO motor in it. I could go 
nab right now. Um, you know, downside is you have to swap timing cover and all of that stuff to go back to a mechanical fuel pump, but it's not the end of the world. But uh, there, there's tons of those 4.9s out there that you can pick up. Yeah, there really are. Yeah, the 4.9s, they were such a common engine, the 300s, that you can really you can really find them anywhere. For those who um, don't know, if you if you round down the technical size of the 5-liter uh, 302, technically... If you if you round down the leaders, it's a four point nine. That's a touchy subject yeah. with five uh, O Mustang owners. Some people yeah. put four nine badges on there just as a as a kind of an inside joke. But uh, I would assume that the actually a lot of what you're saying seems to also match uh, the three fifty one. Uh, yeah. As far as the pros yeah. that you're giving. Yeah, the the three fifty one. You know, the nice thing about the the five zero that I really like is cam swaps uh, are really simple if they're an eighty seven up five liter because they're roller cam engines, and uh, you literally can just you know drop a cam in it and you're good to go. You don't have to do the break in and stuff and worry about lifter materials not being correct or whatever. They just they just work. Um, the downside of like a 302 would be that generally, you know, you're just you're you're missing a lot of displacement, and there the aftermarket supports like horsepower. They don't really support like as much anyway uh, off idle torque setups, you know, like for trucks. So it would take a little more figuring to have to to make it make good power down low and kind of through the whole range. Um, and I don't think, you know, just plugging in a stock engine would be uh, the best, um, but it could work. You know, I could just drop in a 5.0HO in there and just run it and see how it does. You know, it might be okay. Um, the uh, the 351, the, you know, the downsides or the upsides of a 351 is you get more displacement. I could probably run a C6. Um, the C6, if you don't know, if you don't know, has a really... Um, kind of tall first gear it's like a 2.46 i think to one which is not a very deep first gear um so it's it it could it could stand to have a lower gearing and so with those smaller displacement engines it's a little more critical to have something with a lower um with a with a lower uh ratio first gear but the the 351 windsor being it's a little bit bigger um would probably be just fine with a c6 um, so that's a, a plus, um, and the uh, the three fifty one Windsor the the really da- the downside is the same as the five O where it's got the prone to breaking water pump bolts and timing cover bolts and then leaking from that area, um, and you know that requires pulling everything off the engine and if you're lucky you can extract them if not you know you're pulling the engine out um, so that's kind of the downside there. And, uh, in addition, they're just, their bigger physical size, um, you know, makes it still would make it more difficult to work on than something like an inline six. So, um, other pro is, you know, you could get really good power out of the 351 Windsor and, and oh, like an all round good performer. Um, the 351 Windsor probably would be uh, like the all round best engine, uh, from a performance standpoint that would, would work well like it would have good torque for towing it'd have good power for passing so that way in, in that sense it's probably the best pick for from a performance standpoint 
Um, I will say I do like the design of the Windsor engine architecture on the Fords. Like um, having worked on my Mustang quite a bit, uh, having all of us having worked on my Mustang quite a bit, they really are. Uh, they really are good. You know, they're really they're really easy to work on. Everything is really accessible. It's all pretty logical. When I was working on that 460, I was more mad about dumb parts of the design than anything, any engine I've worked on. I just, I mean, I know that they're renowned for their their strength and power, but man, I hated it. It was so bad. So bad. Um, we could talk about that another time. I think we've spent enough time on my engine. <laughs> Well, there, it's it's a lot it's a lot to figure out. I mean, a new engine hopefully will last you, you know, years and years, and you don't want to you don't want to get the wrong motor twice. No, for the same project. So no, but I, the nice thing is, is once whatever I settle on, uh, which you know, being a small block, um, you know, once I have the transmission in there, um, it's basically, uh, you know, it's a pretty easy drop-in swap to a different small block or whatever. So that's always nice. What else? Uh, what else have you been have you been up to? Unless you want to save it for uh, for next episode. Let's save it for the next episode. I uh, I have some updates on the Falcon, um, but uh, we we can rant on about that uh, next time. So. Uh, what do you what do you, uh let's see so you have some you have some ride stuff that you want to touch on right i have a little bit um i I'd, I'd kind of rather get into to news so i'll just kind of since i mentioned it uh if you own uh an x5 or really any car or suv with a panoramic sunroof that's the big ones and this this holds true for all sunroofs but it's something I didn't really know about. I assumed when you close the sunroof, um, it seals up and uh, it is, you know, sealed from the elements, right? Because otherwise the rain would get in the car. Uh, that's not exactly true. The exterior of it is not sealed uh, like to the, the frame of the car. Um, there's still a gap that water gets in. And, but this is by design. And on the inside of your sunroof rails, there is um, there is a, a, a design for capturing and discarding rainwater. Um, so in most vehicles, you have uh, two to four drains. Uh, I'm going to use the X5 because I know about this uh, more accurately. Uh, my wife did the research on this because we found a little bit of... Uh, what we thought was originally just weird condensation or coming up from the floor, but there was some water, uh, just a little bit of dampness in the passenger footwell. Uh, so we decided, well, we should figure out where that's coming from and take care of it. So we start looking at, at, uh, weather stripping and stuff. But, um, you know, she, she looked it all up and did the proper research and found that it is kind of well known that, uh, up in the sunroof, that channel has to get rid of the water somewhere. So it has tubes that run down. And uh, for us, there are four. There's two at the front, two at the back, the two at the front. The tubes literally run down in the A-pillar 
of the uh, actual chassis itself and then down to uh, an outlet uh, a covered boot outlet that uh, ejects the water just behind the front wheels and then in the back they reach back um, straight back to the uh, to the hatchback um, enclosure and leak out of there uh, and onto the ground around there being pre-owned you know we don't know what the owner previous owner like where they lived where they worked we are under the impression now that they lived under some trees or worked under trees because our uh, front right duct even from the in from the top we were able to see is uh, occluded it's it's got some some junk in there and you can pour we pulled in pulled it in the garage let it dry out and uh, poured water in the uh, the gutter there and watched it drain and it drained out of the driver's side good out of the back good but uh it was very slow to drain out of the um uh the front passenger so the proper way to take care of that is to remove the wheel remove the inner fender uh and get to it and then uh like get a like a quarter inch uh plastic hose on the end of a vacuum and you know rotor rooter it out from the bottom uh, oh so you basically it. get a snake out your uh you're snaking out your drain your sunroof drain. yep it's gutters you know all the way down oh fun um, so i got the wheel off and got uh quite a bit of it disassembled but it was it was going to be a much bigger project than uh, i could take care of that day so instead i uh, i read some more on on um on uh, not blogs but on forums because those still exist uh, somewhat and uh people people said that you know they had the best luck otherwise with feeding either uh some people claim that they had strong enough fishing wire otherwise your string from your weed whacker the mm. string trimmer uh i was able to get that down quite a ways uh, to try and see if there was any problem, but there are some turns in there that it was kind of tricky to to get it to feed through. And uh, below twenty psi, people said it. W- they said below thirty psi, it was safe to uh, use an air gun uh, to try and clear it out a little bit. So I went down to twenty to be safe and gave that a shot. So we're gonna leave it out in the rain because it's Oregon; it's always raining for a couple of weeks and see if. Uh, if we've solved the problem or not because um, there was just that little spot and then also on the back doors especially um, on these e70s there is a on the inside of the door panel there is a kind of styrofoam polystyrene kind of insert in the door panel for for you know for sound for vibration things that Ford doesn't think about and uh also as a seal to keep any water that gets through the door panel uh away from the myriad of electronics um oh yeah i forgot you have all of those things yeah i have wires (laughs) that go places oh yeah we pulled the door panel off which uh typical bmw was easy at first um like very straightforward take these t10 torques out of here here and here uh, two out of the bottom, and then the panel just uh, gets some 
body tools, some, some plastic uh, non-marring tools in there and just pop out the equivalent of kind of Christmas trees um, out of there. And the whole panel came kind of straight off a little bit up uh, to clear the door lock mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was, I think, seven uh, wires that I had to disconnect just from a, a back door panel. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But uh, was we it did... seven wires or seven harness assemblies with multiple wires? Well, uh, kind of halfway between. Like there was, they they all have nice solid connectors. I didn't have to do anything weird. They came apart pretty easy. Um, you know, like one for the window, uh, one for the puddle light that comes out of the bottom of the door, um, and uh, and stuff stuff like that. Um, so we got we got that taken off, and there was a couple of breaches uh, in in that uh, styrofoam kind of cover there. Uh, it's not really styrofoam because it's not rigid, um, uh. but we were able to with some uh, kind of uh, two sided adhesive uh, get that stuck back down. And then don't tell anyone, but I ran a little bit of duct tape, little gaffers tape uh, along along the top of that so that any water that could possibly get down onto that top surface would roll over instead of possibly sitting where the adhesive is and trying to separate it. Mm. Um, so that should take care of uh, the damp spot in the back. Uh, nice. So with our, our research between the two of us, we found this is the sort of thing that, scares people away from these soft market cars and makes them just that soft market cars and really you know i'm completely incapable of doing just about anything and i was able to do quite a bit of it uh just right off the bat um when i'm ready to remove a little bit more plastic cladding uh, i'll get in there and i will uh, be rotorootering out the uh the hoses <laughs> just to make sure that they're all good but the other three are all good the ones from the back super easy there's even a little access hole on the back rubber grommet in the uh, lift gate that oh, way we're able good. to go straight in uh through the grommet uh and clear those out if there was anything but they were decently clean so if you have an e70 or an e53 uh 53s are also known for it keep those clean because the ones that come out of the back they will leak down and get into uh, the spot in the back cargo area by the tail light, and um, those in the know are aware that that's where mm, two to three fuse panels are, and that will make everything go very wonky on your car. So if your beamer is acting weird, <laughs> check your uh, your drains for your sunroofs. Wow, so, that's crazy, dude. It's just something you got to watch for on these newer cars with fancy things like sunroofs. But I mean, yeah. that's even, you know, late 80s and, and 90s cars are going to have, you should take care of this. Or they're the early ones that don't have drains on that. And they tried to seal them from the top and they leak through and there goes your, your you know, your, um, your headliner. So uh, trading one I don't know problem. If my, uh, I don't know if my mom's Camry had that or not. She, she had a 92 and that thing never leaked. That thing was solid. I don't know if that drains or it's sealed from the top. I have no idea. Yeah, that's just it's engineering that you don't think of until you yeah. have to deal with it. 
Right. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's entirely too many uh, wires and fuses and stuff for a car. I have like four fuses in my Falcon, and that's too many. Like, if you I mean, if just... you if you had sat down and and done it with me, you would have you would have fallen asleep. It was so so simple and easy. Again, I'm not not trying to shill. I'm just saying it's something that was decently easy to hopefully take care of. But we'll see. I may have to if I have to tear into the wheel well and stuff. Uh, like it looks like I might that's going to be more of a pain and definitely take some shine off of it. Well, that, um, I'll tell you the truth, though. I mean, even when I did my the door panels on my dad's uh, 2007 Tahoe to replace the uh, to replace the door handle, I mean, that was so easy. All of that, that whole replacing, replacing those parts was just cake. Uh, it really wasn't that difficult. So, I mean, they have, yeah. you know, made, and, and, you know, YouTube helps, but uh, they have really made, those cars go together pretty easily um you know uh they're they're kind of meant to be worked on because hey guess what they put crappy components in them that fail frequently so it's easy to get in there and uh fix them and replace them and so, they if if they can get away with one last fastener on each door of the half million f-150s that they sell that adds yep. up and that all goes to profit so yeah. Uh, they want to make it easy, and also their techs. They want to be able to charge for three hours, but have them do it in two. So they want it to be easy to work on uh, when they can for their for their techs. And something like an yeah. SUV doesn't have to be um, as hard to work on. Like you get a small car with a big engine, you know, you don't have any room to work. And when you have to package something like a Honda Fit, where they want as much cavernous interior space that comes at a cost you know you never totally. see it you never see it because the the mechanic sees it as you know yeah. i hear that stuff like that can be hard to work on um because there's simply not a lot of space to work right yeah i mean and being in an industry where we do uh product like that um often uh i can attest to you know sacrificing um certain things for for cost you know you, you sacrifice some quality you sacrifice some nice to haves for uh for the bottom line which you know uh i'm sure they did back in the in the 60s but probably just to a lesser degree um than they do now well let's let's go through the decades we have a few um we have a few uh things to hit for for news uh so we'll start in how about the 80s uh, or at least something that makes me think of the 80s. There's a Maserati uh, concept uh, that was shown um, that is really cool. It, for me, it, it definitely screams uh, the 80s. And uh, as as is said in the article, it's very cyberpunk uh, with with the uh, upcoming video game Cyberpunk 2077 it's uh it has that flavor to it the maserati project recall concept that's r-e-k-a-l-l because of course um <laughs> i saw this and i immediately thought oh this is right up jeff's alley because jeff is the proud owner of a pair of pink shutter shades mm -hmm. uh, and he would have to wear them in this car what do you what do you think of this am i am i right Oh yeah, no, this car is fantastic. Uh, those were actually my mom's Oakleys from the '80s that uh, she gave me, <laughs> and uh, they are just 
they are just they got like that blue and uh, pink hue to them, so they they're just totally synthwave, uh, you know, uh, vibe going on. They're yeah, this this car's I can hear the uh, you know the College Collective uh, soundtrack from Drive, uh, you know, playing in the background while I'm looking at these pictures. It's uh, it's got the over the top digital dash gauges, you know, and the uh, the square bolstering on the seat you know, and uh, the all the uh, very square, rigid, but futuristic lines, you know, like the, uh, um, it kind of looks a little bit in the front like a Mercury Capri. It does uh, a bit. With, with the wheel arch flares of a Chrysler Conquest. Um, it does have some DeLorean kind of uh, yeah. feel to it. Maybe it's the color, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's very kind of a, a Spartan, but digital interior. I feel like yeah. this car comes with a box of glow sticks in the trunk. <laughs> it is. Tron, I would own this. That's the word. Tron. Tron. This is there you this go. is Tron. Very Tron. But it's it's very it, cool. I would like to see kind of a return. I'm hoping maybe between the Cybertruck and this. Uh, I'm not. I'm notably not a fan of the Cybertruck's design, but seeing that and then kind of seeing the new Hummer and this, I feel like we are getting a little bit of that um, Ferrari three, five, five squared up kind of eighties mm-hmm. aesthetic, maybe returning uh, on certain cars. And I could deal with a little bit of it, especially if it looks like this Maserati. Oh yeah. I'm a hundred percent for that. The eighties were a cool time. And uh, with, you know, with some interesting, uh, some cars were pretty interesting in the eighties. Um, just the, the, the pushing the whole retro futuristic look. Um, I think it was really, uh, really a cool time. They just didn't have the technology to really make them reliable or, you know, daily drivable. You know, you see a lot of the eighties turbo cars that really kind of embraced that, that maybe, you know, we're looking at engines and, 30,000 miles or 50,000 miles or whatever. Yeah, you end up with the malaise era of vehicles, which is, you know, they're they're all dying out. What we didn't lose in cash to clunkers have rusted away or been given up for scrap um, simply because, like you said, they didn't didn't last. So there will be a run on those uh, in the near near future. I mean, Fox bodies are already, um, you know, skyrocketing. Uh, and everything around it, like like you mentioned, the Capri. It's really hard to find a uh, a nice Mercury Capri or the Mercury Mercure XT Four I or whatever they call oh, that. Oh God, those are so terrible. <laughs> I love those so much. Oh, they're um, cool looking, but they oh, are. I wouldn't. Terrible. I wouldn't own one. Oh no! no yeah. No, no. <laughs> don't don't get it twisted. <laughs> no, they are really cool. I every time I see one, I'm like, that's cool. But I feel really bad for that guy. <laughs> the uh, the amount of money he puts into that car just to keep it like Running. barely driving yeah <laughs> it's got to be ridiculous <laughs> of course i'm sure that's what people think of me when i'm driving my car so i, I have no room to talk yeah yeah um so let's let's jump a decade uh to kind of keep rolling uh and for those of you who stop to look up the uh the Maserati, this is a good time to go ahead and uh, use your web searching tool to search for the uh, Ford Power Stroke concept truck. Uh, this came out in uh, in 94 uh, 
and it was to it was to showcase the Jeff just got to the page. This is oh no, a, I this is a hilarious. hideous hideous monstrosity. Uh, oh, I, I'm not gonna mince words. This is yeah, this is a terrible crime that was done to my eyes. This um, looks like somebody took like a like an F one fifty dually and then wanted to modify it to be like a cool hot rod guy, but didn't really have any taste or style and just did it anyway, but had lots of money. I, j- and, I don't even know what to say about it. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's what makes me ashamed to have grown up in the nineties is this was, this was cool as I'm wearing my, uh, my, you know, quadrant uh, shirt that's you know <laughs> red and blue and green and yellow in the four corners um and my cuffed oh, yeah. up jeans like in yeah third grade. Is, i would i would have been all about this truck this is the new kids on the block in truck form it absolutely is <laughs> this is oh, this man. is this is uh neon windbreaker and uh and capri uh capri pants um you know maybe uh Maybe uh, some uh, otter pops and some, uh, you know, glow sticks or something. I don't know. This is just, this is this is skate world uh, circa nineteen nineties <laughs> right here. It, um, yeah, it is. It is quintessential. But uh, but this... the mirrors, the mirrors look like they're from the seventies. But then they have like this extra little mirror that looks like it's from like a chopper. Uh, yeah, it, this is definitely looks like it's been pieced together by someone in their garage. Um, yeah boy it's just it's it's so okay so it looks real bad but it was important it was an important vehicle because it was kind of the the first that you saw uh, a truck with uh wraparound windshields and uh and with like proper dually covers that are like uh integrated into the bed instead of just big rectangles that are stuck to the outside of a regular bed Right. Um, and them trying to make uh, a, a truck seem more mainstream. And yeah. this was the debut of the, uh, not the first Ford diesel truck engine, but the one that we still know and love today, which is the 7.3 direct injection power stroke. So oh, yeah, first, that's why it says on the hood, DI turbo diesel for that, direct injection. That would be why, because before that it was... Uh, first indirect injection naturally aspirated, then they threw a turbo on it, but mm-hmm. a turbo with indirect injection is not uh, good. It, there's a lot of wasted <laughs> fuel, a lot of bad emissions yeah. out of that. So to at least go, uh, you know, to go from a port to a direct injection um, is really uh, helpful on, on, on turbo diesels. So this was the beginning of you know all of those. You know the the rubber testicles hanging from pickup trucks. This is kind of <laughs> the reason for it, which this definitely looks like a truck that would have those uh, twenty years later. I do like that the uh, the tasteful use of SN ninety five taillights. Um, those are pretty tasteful. Um, yeah, it, I mean the uh, the Heritage Edition F one fifties also used that style of taillight, as did the like 98 ish explorers. Um, What heritage was that, that they were trying to celebrate? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. It just looked like the one that they were getting rid of. As far as I know, it was like 
old 2003s that they were late to get to a lot, so they just called them Heritage and sold them alongside <laughs> the new one. There you um, go. They probably sold them at a premium. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, it... yeah the, the truck is bad, but the engine is uh, important in having diesels for the masses in the U.S. So Yeah. So um, speaking of important engines. Speaking of the 7.3, we have another one. Um, this is not necessarily a new, uh, a new story. This this is a little old, but it's uh, it matters because of what we're what the whole episode was about uh, engines and you know what engine to put in the Bronco. And this was my contribution to what should go in the Bronco. Uh, so the newer Super Duties have a new seven point three v8 but it's not a diesel it is a gas uh engine but now it's available as a crate motor uh so you can pick up this 7.3 liter v8 they call godzilla uh appropriately and you can pick it up for a little over eight grand and it's pretty good to go um uh, it includes intake throttle body exhaust manifolds oil pan oiler oil cooler blah 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 uh i mean including brackets and shipping like that's that's all done uh for eight grand and out of the box this thing puts 430 horsepower at 5500 rpms and uh 475 torque at 4000 rpms so i would imagine you get uh a good percentage of that um 475 substantially sooner than four uh usually an engine like that you'll get you know 350 to 400 just a little off idle and that's without any boost you know if you wanted to put four or five pounds of boost on this uh just a little bit you would be you would have it right off the line and you'd have 600 of them um so this the reason i thought this would be good for jeff is because it's very plug and play um and it's got the power but it's it's a little old, uh, actually. Uh, it has yeah, some... you, you said it had port injection. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty pretty old school. That seems um, that seems pretty new school for Jeff uh, for Jeff, but it's got it's got push rods and it's got uh, yeah, it, it's not direct injected, so that saves weight, saves complication. Uh, I don't know what else you could want. Like this is as old school as a brand new crate engine uh can get and it's a ford it's got lots of power uh what's you know what's the liters on a uh on a 400 you know it's gonna be 6.6 that's true it's bigger it is and it and i'm not gonna finish that um (laughs) so um it's it's a little bit you know a little bit bigger it's 445 cubic inches so it's you know it's a little little extra but it's not crazy like you were gonna put a 460 in there you know that's true yeah so it's it's and i bet i wouldn't be as upset about the design of of this engine as i was when i looked at the 460 so i feel like this is probably designed a little better than one that was designed in i don't know maybe the the 60s 60s? yeah well but like they could have been blueprinting that in the 50s that's true that's true um so yeah that was that was my thought it's you know it's still fuel injected but not direct injection uh it and being 
really being not an overhead cam motor uh, so he would have more room for because all your accessories are bracketed up on top mm -hmm. uh, which makes it hard to work on the engines so this would give you a little more room up top and just the shape of it and uh, the look of the angle of the V looks uh, 90 percent but or 90 degrees but it, it looks like it would fit so why not yeah you know yeah hey it's only eight grand it's only eight grand that i have That's just kicking it for sure just just uh pull out your get under your mattress yeah um, that's why your mattress is um uh, your nose is hitting the, the ceiling yeah yeah because i'm just rolling in money yeah yeah uh, um, that was that was my thought it's just because it, it rolled across there and i think i think that would be really cool in a in a second gen bronco like that um super reliable yeah. super nice got the sound yeah. big block yeah there's just a, a couple of other little things but again it's just kind of the ford romp and if we talk too long about them uh jeff may commit self-harm so <laughs> we'll we'll run right through the mach e which we have uh stated well you and andy have stated you revile and i have stated i am still on the fence i don't like them using mustang as a brand but what are you gonna do and it is actually putting up good numbers. The Maki -E has an official EPA electric range. Uh, comes in two flavors. Comes in uh, 98 kilowatt hour and a smaller 75 kilowatt hour. Uh, both with uh, rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. But at the top, a rear drive Mach E with the bigger 98.8 kilowatt uh, pack will run 300 miles. Uh, of range on a single charge that's, that's pretty impressive that's only 26 miles off of the tesla model y which is kind yeah. of going to be its direct competition um the next closest thing that i would consider equitable because uh the model 3 gets uh, substantially more but that's more a sedan uh chevy bolt which is the next below it is a much smaller car uh, I would say the Jaguar I-Pace might be the next closest thing, and that only has 234 miles of range. So this is 66 more to a charge. That's pretty um, good. That's that's substantial. Uh, yeah. And they're they're saying that it's uh, it's estimated to make them the equivalent of about uh, 255 uh, horsepower. Um, that's that's not bad. Or the 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 bigger ones get. Uh, about 280 to 300 horsepower depending on uh on other options uh they are going to have a gt that's going to run 459 horsepower uh equivalent i'm always going to say equivalent for the next about 10 years because you can claim 8,000 horsepower from these motors it's really weird how the the math works on that um but seeing as you can get you can get a maki that'll run let's start with the base all-wheel driver rear-wheel drive base is getting 255 horsepower with uh um 300 mile uh range or 270 for all-wheel drive so it's only 30 miles uh to go all-wheel drive uh that sounds acceptable to me especially starting at 42 grand to get an suv that'll do that sort of stuff and be all electric uh you know minus whatever your federal and state 
uh, rebates might be that's that's getting into fine like that's that's fine pricing and fine range for most people i mean how often do you drive more than 100 miles in a day anyway but to, to make it equitable to a gas car um in range uh mm-hmm. you know 43 grand starting uh and 250 horsepower 300 mile range and it's a compact suv with I hate that they call it a Mustang, but the styling I don't hate compared to most things that are coming out now. It's actually mm-hmm. decently handsome and in line. If they would swap that pony for a blue oval, I would like it more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't like it, but I think it would be less uh, less irritating if they didn't make it a brand. But I also think that's gonna it's gonna it'll turn off enthusiasts like us that. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to buy a forty-five thousand dollars SUV right now. Um, so, and it will. It will attract people that are cross shopping this yeah. to the Model Y and go, "Oh, but this is a Mustang," you know. That's uh, true. The so the cachet will will get them there, and if that gets Ford a good EV, it'll be nice to see more people playing in that space. That's true. That's true. Um. Do you have any positive thoughts on that, or we can hit our last topic? Let's hit the last one. Um, the uh, the Ford Maverick? Maverick. Now, this is another misuse of a term, uh, so I was kind of curious uh, what you would think of this, if it's been long enough that it's okay. Um, so this is all still basically rumor. Uh, Ford has its usual thing where they don't, comment on speculation uh ever about anything uh they literally just say we do not comment on speculation of future vehicles that's their that's what they always email you back when you ask but there's been a spy shot of a ford truck tailgate um that you know all all the fords because apparently people don't know they have to stamp everything into the tailgates of the trucks now um so they have stamped (laughs) in super duty stamped in F-150, stamped in platinum, whatever they want to do. Um, other auto- automakers are guilty too, but uh, this one says Maverick. And judging by the size of it, it is too small to be like a, a trim of a Ranger. This is suspected to be the uh, upcoming Focus-based Ranger. So the focus it, is going going away, and it might it's gone now. But um, they still have that architecture there. There is a scuttlebutt that they are uh, putting a uh, a bed on the focus and calling it a uh, calling it a Ford Maverick and selling a a unibody uh, pickup truck, uh, kind of a la a small Ridgeline sort of a thing. Could it? Uh... Could it potentially, instead of being that, could it be a hatchback with a tailgate that drops down? I mean, it could, but are they going to do that? I I don't know. I mean, that would stick more with the Maverick design language a little bit, you know, being something that's not uh, uh, never been historically a truck. Uh, I was just trying to think of some other potential uh for what that may you know being that it's much smaller than a tailgate would typically be for a truck perhaps it's a uh perhaps it's a tailgate hatchback um 
where the uh, like the old Honda Civics, where you could uh, either roll the window down or or uh, spin the window, or I guess release the the hatch window up and then pull the tailgate down, and and then you got the access to your hatch. Yeah, my uh, my X5 has a a small tailgate on it, as do Range Rovers. I would be, I would love a a long roof, proper long roof wagon with a split you know tailgate hatch as opposed to the one uh big kind of clamshell down mm-hmm. i would i would be down for that uh but either way this is something that's truly on on my uh my radar for uh you know if i need to end up replacing the ranger um we're we're well past time but this is a story i want to throw in uh here at yeah. the end this is this is fun um might cut this and put this at the end so i'm driving to work uh yesterday uh i haven't driven the ranger in a while drove it to the dump to get rid of some stuff then yesterday i drove it to work and uh uh, i start heading down the road i'm two or three minutes from the house and um someone starts honking at me i'm like well this is you're kidding me like it's 6 30 in the morning no one else is out like i would see headlights it's dark already and i'm like man it's loud man it keeps going it's my horn i don't know why it's just (laughs) it's it's just going off like what the heck and it's loud it's my horn so i start hitting the the horn that on the steering wheel and nothing's happening what in the heck so i'm like "I, i do i need to pull over and hit it with something and it stops okay that was weird I don't like electrical gremlins. So I continue on towards work and I make it about halfway to work. And it happens again. And it's on. It's loud. And it's on for 30 to 45 seconds. I'm starting to lose my mind trying to trying to do something with the horns. Well, you know, well that's a long wheel. time for a horn to be on. That's, that's a very to long get your time. Attention. <laughs> and I'm I'm like I'm passing I'm I pass a couple of cars and they flash me. I'm like, I'm not honking at you. And so I, I pull over and I pop the hood. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this sucker. And I walk over and I put my hand on the hood to lift it and it turns off. <laughs> <sighs> okay, fine. I'll, I'll get to work. I'll take care of it there. I've got tools there. I make it. Now I'm about two thirds of the way there. I'm on, I'm on the highway now, uh, you know, in traffic, doing 60 and it's talks it just and it just keeps going I'm like nope i find the first uh driveway off the off of the highway uh i get out i pop the hood i lift it up put the strut and it's i'm looking at the horn it's way too loud like it has to be loud i understand that but when you're next to it like when your quote-unquote friends like to honk the horn when you're working on your car um, yeah that, that's never happened on. to me <laughs> <laughs> um it's really loud so i look and there's a connector on there and so i fidget i fumble with that for like a minute and then i go nope grab a big handful of wire and just pull with with all my might lucky for the truck the connector popped off and not the wires i didn't care if there was going to be exposed wires that thing was stopping so <laughs> no idea what it is. No idea what's causing it. Uh, it's a plastic shell, simple two-tone horn. Um, uh, 
Just so you had an experience problem. very similar to what I had when I first put my Chevy together. I had a, I had bought a cheap little horn that I put on, and you know I I had all new, uh, uh, horn switch and steering column internals for this old steering column I have out of C10, and uh, I would be driving it, and over certain bumps or if I torqued the wheel just right, the little uh, the little metal cage in there would ground out, and it would just it would honk the horn bip, 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 or it would go on, <laughs> you know, and it would just do it super random. Like it would go for like three or four days and never do it. And then it would do it all day, one day. And didn't, uh, didn't spook you though, did it? You never jumped. Oh no, it right? scared the hell out of me. It was so, <laughs> it was so high pitch and loud. And uh, I was driving one day and uh, I was going around the corner and that's usually, you know, when I'm turning on the wheel really hard when it would do something. And this other lady, had also uh she had like i think she had ran a yellow or a red or something and my horn went off at the same time and she flips me off and i'm like <laughs> even though you were being a, an idiot and doing something you should have i wasn't honking at you but i should have but i did not i should have but i did not and uh i was like oh that's nice that's nice people give give me the benefit of the doubt there so well, I, I, I did what you did. I would never expect someone's um, horns accidentally going off. I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt either. That's true. That's true. But I, uh, but yeah, I, I ended up doing what you did, except a step further. I just removed my horn completely, and I don't have a horn on the car anymore. So um, <laughs> problem solved. Horn yeah. can't go off and uh, uh, if you don't have one. But I tell you, there's been times I've been stuck at a light, and people haven't been moving, and I'm like, wish I had a horn right now. <laughs> That's why you just but, need a good exhaust. Put it in neutral and just rev it. Like we're neutral like drop 17. it. Yeah. Neutral drop it. I still do that, so <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh that kinda that ties in with uh with the closing of this episode because I said, you know, you're too old for that. You're almost thirty, uh, as am I. Almost. Um, what do you mean? No, I thought you had I thought you had oh no. Yeah. Now that was that that already happened, huh? That did happen. That already happened, old man. Yeah, I'm I'm old. You're you're a young little kid. I'm I'm the old guy now. Yeah, I got a, I got a couple months. I'm gonna hold on to those. Yeah, do it. Hold I on will. to it tightly. <laughs> so thirty is interesting Jan- because it's Go ahead. it's it's also uh, this is the end of our thirtieth episode of of Garage Night. We've done thirty of these so far. Well, we've done thirty one. But we've published thirty. We lost an episode. <laughs> we we recorded an hour and a half and lost the recording. Um, I think and it was episode a fantastic eight. episode. Yeah, we'll we'll go back and uh, when we were doing our lists, our favorite lists, uh, we'll go back and and uh, and do one of those uh, pretty soon because yeah. I, I do want to talk about what we talked about because uh, I have uh, better thoughts about it now. I like it. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, so be sure to uh, follow us on Instagram at Garage Night or email us at Tiny Dog Podcast Network at Outlook.com and check out our other families' shows at TinyDogPodcast.com. And feedback is uh, is obviously welcome and appreciated. Uh, give us a, a rating, give us a one star, give us a five star if you like it or don't like it. Um, whatever you listen to is is great and it gives us good feedback for uh, adjusting our content to uh, keep you guys happy. Absolutely. If you like something or don't, we're, uh, we just kind of, 
we're fishing in the dark. We're just doing stuff that uh, that we like that makes us happy. But um, you know, if someone writes in and goes, you know, I missed this segment, or please don't do this segment again. Um, you know, we're we're more than happy to kind of uh, move things around so that uh, you know other people enjoy it as much as we do. Um, and That's yeah, true. Re- reviews are are how we how we know that either privately to the email or or otherwise. Um, and we're we're working on uh, some other stuff. We're working on a on a specific website for this show, uh, where we'll post up more stuff uh, that's more specific for uh, for this sort of thing. Uh, until then, yeah, you can check out the the major show, uh, and please check out uh, just another side quest if you like video games. Um, we're actually working on a a crossover episode, so that that should be that should be interesting. Um, so uh, keep an eye on that space. Uh, we won't keep you any longer. Today's gone a little more uh, towards the time of our old episodes, but we had a lot to catch up on. Um, so without any further ado uh, from all of us here at uh, the network, we would like to wish you a good night. Good night, y'all. <laughs> listening to the garage night podcast a special thanks for jeff tracy and annie tamlin for joining the show this week until next week keep turning wrenches